Listening to Positively Prepped, a podcast for teachers. I'm your host, Rebecca Rodriguez. I love being a teacher and I never bring work home. I'm here to talk about how you can systematically, effectively, and positively prep your classroom so you too can feel balanced, happy, and in control of your life at school and at home. One of my very favorite group learning strategies is learning centers or learning stations. A while back, a coworker walked into my room and saw all of my students working in their groups of four on different activities all at the same time. And I was walking around helping one-on-one and just kind of making sure that things were running smoothly. She was honestly shocked because the kids all were engaged in learning and having a great time and She told me that she thought that was something that was only done in elementary schools. But I assure you, learning stations can be done in the secondary level, and they should be. Now, I do realize that right now we might not be doing a lot of group learning. We might not be doing learning in person, period. But I did want to take this time. It was something I already had scheduled into my podcast episodes, and I really love this strategy, and I thought we could use it now thinking about some of those great things that we can implement when we do get to do what we want to do in our classrooms again. So join me today as I talk about why stations are a great idea and an effective strategy, how to run stations at the high school level, and some great station ideas that you can implement and use in your classroom to really help make sure that kids are learning, engaged, and focused in your classroom. So yes, group work is a bit out of reach right now, but it won't always be. I thought about removing this episode from my lineup at first, but I really changed my mind. Why not ruminate now on all the amazing things we can do when the time finally does come back to us and arises where we get to teach how we want to teach again? So let's talk today first about why we should do learning stations. Why are they effective? Why is it a great idea? And especially one at the secondary level where sometimes we think, oh, that's frilly. We we just have these set strategies that we use, but learning stations is a great idea. So let me explain why. One, it's a fun way to learn, which Some teachers say, well, that doesn't matter to me, but I think it should because students do become more engaged when they buy in and they can buy in if they're doing something fun, even if they're doing something fun at the expense of having to do some learning with it. So I have games with my students in stations where they are competing against the people at their table and that in itself, they're sitting there conjugating verbs. And that isn't always fun for a lot of students. They find that very, very difficult and frustrating. But the fact that we've added in competition, they are suddenly engaged. They want to do it. They are trying harder because they're having fun while they're doing it. So having fun in the classroom can be a really positive experience for the teacher and the students because it can add engagement and can really help the students want to do the thing that we're asking them to do. It's also a great thing for movement um, because the students are getting up and moving from station to station at the, at the appropriate time. 
sometimes the students are sitting all day long. And I just finished a book called Lifespan where it talked about sitting, having a sedentary lifestyle where the where we're sitting. And it mostly talks about that as adults. If we have a job where we're sitting most of the day for our job, that's actually more detrimental than smoking. And yet we're asking our kids to sit for the entire school day. And they're high school students. And yes, they get up and move between classes, but why couldn't they get up and move every 10 or 15 minutes too and, and just get that blood moving again and make sure that we're thinking about their health as well. In that, we have found with brain-based learning that everyone actually has about a 15-minute attention span, which is about the time it takes to do a learning station for the way that I do them and the way I'm going to kind of tell you guys how to do them also. So this is actually really great for brain-based learning as well, because it's showing that the you're, you're giving your student that short burst of learning and activity, and then they switch learning and activity to something new. And that energizes the brain. It keeps the brain moving and flowing, and it really helps them stay engaged and active for the entire class because we're asking their brain to do what it does best 10 to 15 minutes of learning and activity focused on one thing and then actually physically getting up and moving to the next and that refocuses their brain on the next activity which they can do for 10 or 15 minutes and i have found that my students are actually way more engaged when we do the lessons this way because their brain is activated appropriately for their age group and their for just brains in general their attention span another reason that I found from doing learning stations for myself is that this can actually decrease the amount of materials that I need for the whole class activities. If I were to make a game that the whole class was playing, maybe even just at their table of four, I would have to make eight to 10 of that game. If I was having them do a uh, maybe a Pictionary game, I'd have to make eight to 10 packs of cards. So this helps to decrease the amount of materials, but that can be a little bit contradictory in that you do have to make materials for more stations. So it's less materials for one activity, but I do have to make materials for other stations. So sometimes it ends up being the same or even more materials, and sometimes it's way, way less materials. So that is one is that overall, I do end up using, I believe, less materials than I would if I had the whole class working on the same game or the same activity or the same test as if I had done it in stations. So this can be a great thing, and sometimes it's not such a great thing. One reason that this is a great thing for me, however, is that when I've done those materials once, I laminate them or I create them in such a way that I can use them again and again, and that actually decreases how much prep time it takes each year because if I reuse that game, then I don't have to prep it again. It's already prepped and ready to go. Another reason why I believe learning stations are great, especially at the secondary level, is that students are put in a place of responsibility for their own learning. All too often we lecture, they listen, they're supposed to write down their notes, and that's their responsibility, listening and writing. And I believe that learning stations are a way that they can have to use what they're learning and they can talk to each other about it and take responsibility for their learning within their groups and for their individual self 
because you're not just telling it to them, they're writing it down and then they have to regurgitate it on a test. They are working together to solve problems. They are working together to annotate or do whatever the, the required steps are in their activity. And that really creates an environment where they are doing and you are not. So this is a great thing for them to be more hands-on themselves in their own learning. This also frees me up as the teacher to do one-on-one. -on -one. So when my friend or my other coworker walked in and saw me doing learning stations, I was, I was just walking around the room and the teacher was like, what is going on here? Because I was smiling, I was pointing, I was laughing, I was explaining things to students. And then I was able to go walk over to her and the room kept going. I know sometimes when another teacher walks in and has to ask you a question, everything kind of has to come to a screeching halt while one teacher talks to the other about whatever they need to talk about, and then you can go back to learning. But because my students were learning without me being right over their shoulder, making sure they were learning, they were able to do what they needed to do. I could go talk to the coworker because she needed to borrow something. I gave it to her and she left, and no learning had to stop. It really freed me up as the teacher. I can go talk to different students that I know are having trouble on certain things. At our school, small group learning is big right now. Our administrators would really like to see us using this. And this is a great way to implement that because as they move around the room, I have made one station where I'm doing whatever I need to do with that group of students. So I will group the students based off of, oh, these, you know, how well they did on the test. And so the, the students who did great on the test, maybe when they're in their, when they're with me at that group, we're doing more of just a fun practice activity. But when the students who did poorly on the test, I may pass out the test and we can go over and talk about, okay, well, which parts were hard for you? What do we need to do? And I've given them instruction on those things that they found very, very difficult because I had the time to do that with every single group of students in my classroom because I made time for it. So this is a great way to get that small group instruction into your learning where at our school, that's a big, that's a big deal. That's something that should be happening at our school. And so I was able to implement that thing that my administration was asking me to do within this learning station setup. Another thing that is promoted when students learn this way is collaboration. I found that my students when working together and maybe they don't even know how to play the game because I only explain at the beginning, which I'll explain in just a moment. And then they have to do the stuff. So when they get to the stations, they have to work together to remember, okay, what do we do at this station? Okay, you do this, you do this, you do this. Okay, let's start. And they have to work together. And I've seen natural leaders rise up that maybe I was surprised wouldn't would be the leader of that group. But they are. And it's awesome to see that. And I've seen them work together to be like, okay, we don't know what we're doing at this station, but we got to get it done. So let's do this. And maybe they were doing the wrong thing, but they were still practicing the right concept. Okay, that's great. Good job, team, for solving that problem without raising your hands and calling me over. I love when they work together to do some of those things. It builds our our team, our, our class into a great family structure. I love it. This also helps them to accomplish tasks and learn information at their level. They are able to explain it to each other, which is the best way to learn. Okay, so before we go into how to run the stations, how to set them up, how to get it going, and some great station ideas, let's do our unpaid sponsorship. 
Today for our unpaid sponsorship, I'd like to give a, a shout out to Costco. I recently went to Costco to do some grocery shopping and I, again, am just in awe of how awesome that store can really be. First of all, their, their staff is very helpful. I couldn't find something and they helped me find it and I normally would find it difficult to even find a person sometimes at a store, but they were all over the place. And they were very willing to help. They knew where this stuff was. They were willing to try and get it down if it wasn't out and available to me. So they were so helpful and I appreciate that. I also have a family of five, two teenage boys and a very strong muscle bound bodybuilder husband who we eat a lot of protein, a lot of food around here. And so it is so nice to be able to buy in bulk and have it not cost everything we have. It is really nice to be able to feed my family, supply my own personal binder habit. I know. And not to mention the table full of books. So Costco just wanted to give you a shout out and say thanks. Okay, now back to our regularly scheduled program. All right, so let's talk about how to run stations. First thing is decisions need to be made. For me, this comes when I'm really trying to plan the whole lesson or module or unit is it, I make those decisions then. Okay, what days do I have? How many days can I allot to my stations? And that's how I work it. Typically, I have found that three stations per day is doable. More than that, they have to be very simple and not time-consuming stations. Less than that, and, and the kids finish early and look at me like, okay, well, what are we doing? So three is a great number of stations per day. I typically do three stations or nine stations. Nine stations works really great for me because it's three days. They do three per day. And I just tell them, okay, tomorrow you're going to start at the station that you're about to go to. So if you're at station three, tomorrow you'll start at station four. And that's where they go sit down the next day. And I just make sure to be very clear about that. But so that's the first decision to be made is how many stations because of how much time do you have? If you want to make nine stations, you also have to have nine ideas. So what do you want to do at each of the stations? Do you have three things, three games that they could play? Do you have a test and two activities? What can be done at the different stations? If you don't have nine different activity ideas, then you might not want to do three days worth of stations because that's not going to work. You're going to have a lot of a hard time finding out what to do. And then how you want to move about. That needs to be decided before the students are in your room. For me, I have the three rows of tables, and so we just move about in an S, and then I tell them when you get to station nine, you need to go around the back of the room up to station one, and then we start over from there. So my students kind of usually will know that, that structure, and I number the stations so that they know oh, I'm at station two. If I'm moving to the next station, I need to find station three. But I always have them in, the, in a direct row that they can follow. Ours is like an S, so it's not confusing. Station one isn't over here, and then station two is, is in the opposite corner, and then three is, is next door here. They don't have to go find it. It makes sense. There's a flow to it because if you don't have a flow, you will have mass chaos. Once you've made those decisions, then you can start creating 
your stations. First thing I do is create station labels. So what I do is I have, I just have a big label that I print off that says Estación Número Uno, and they go from there. So if I have three stations, I will have three labels. Three stations works for my group because I have three sets of tables in three rows. And if I do three stations, I just have three sets of station one, three sets of station two, and three sets of station three. And they just move down their row of tables instead of around the whole room. So if I make, after I make the station labels with just what station number it is, on the back of it, I also type the instructions of what they need to do at that station. So it starts with, you know, you should be coming from station number two. If it's station number three, it'll say, you know, you should be here if you've you finished station number two. Then it'll say, okay, first open your student tracking sheet to this page or hand out cards or shake the dice. It'll tell them what to do at the station. Very clear instructions because I want them to be able to read those before they come ask me questions about it because I do have nine groups usually going. So I need them to be able to read the instructions and do the thing. And then I just want to go around and make sure everybody's on task and that they understand all of what they're supposed to be doing. So the instructions are on the back of the station label and I put those in a page protector. And then that just sits in the middle of each table so that when they get there, they can look, okay, we're at the right station, flip it over, what do we do? Once the station labels are made, I also create a sticky note of materials that should be at each of those stations. And I just put that on the corner of the station label. This helps the students because they can look and see, oh, we were missing colored pencils or oh, there's no dice here, oh, it's on the floor. Whatever has happened, they have a list of what should be at their table. It also helps me when I'm setting up the stations because I can put the station labels out and then go from table to table and just make sure I have everything on each table as needed. Then I get to work creating the games or the supplies or the manipulables or the worksheets or whatever it is that I need. I did mention a station tracking sheet. A station tracking sheet is where I have students write their sentences or they are to um, maybe fill in something or if they have an entrevista, an interview with their partner at their station, that they, this is where they write their stuff down. This helps the students stay on track because if it's just a game they're playing, I have no proof that they really did what they were supposed to do. So if the game is, if you land on this spot, you have to write a sentence with an adjective in it, then they would write that sentence in their station tracking sheet and that's what they turn in at the end. So if it's all games and there's nothing really, like it's you don't want to have a worksheet at each table or whatever it is, you can have them take this, what I call a station tracking sheet and it just keeps track of all the stations that they visit that day and they write down their information in that paper. That is something that I... I label station one, you will have nothing to write here. Station two, write your sentences that you create from, you know, comparing this to that or whatever. Because we're a Spanish classroom, so a lot of it is like it's, we're creating a lot of sentences and ideas because they need to be able to speak and write and 
and um, listen in Spanish. So some of their stations, a lot of their stations will have to do with grammar and vocabulary. And so that's what they're writing for my stations. And so I, I make their station tracking sheet with lines for those sentences if they need to write sentences or if they um, interviewed someone, what their, what their partner answered, all of that stuff that they need to write down will be in their station tracking sheet. So that's another thing that I create before we start the stations. But that is optional because some of the some of the times when I do the three stations, especially, I don't create this because one of the stations may have a worksheet. Another one is where they do their test. Another one, so you don't always have to have this. But if you do want some proof, if you want some sort of thing that they are responsible for doing at the station, so you can grade them on it, this is a great idea. So all of that is the pre work. You got to do that before they get there. Then on day of game day, you are going to make sure that the tables are, are out how you want them. You know how the students are going to move around your room. And then you're going to put your station labels appropriately so that the students can move from station to station smoothly. Then after you put the station label on each table, you'll go through and you'll look at your list that you made on there with your sticky note and you'll make sure that all the materials they need are on the table already. So for me, like if I have, we have one where it's a map, they have to do, they pick a card and it says, okay, on this card, you have to use a red crayon or a red colored pencil and go from the supermarket to the house. And they have to use their red pencil to follow the instructions that are on the card. So I can see, did they turn at the right place? Cause that's part of our curriculum is that they have to be able to give and receive instructions on how to get somewhere. So they use a red colored pencil. So I need to make sure a red colored pencil is there. I don't want my students wasting time trying to get their own red colored pencil out. This is where we fall into problems with COVID right now is because we're not supposed to be reusing materials. So that's why this is probably an activity you'll do in the future. But I have also gone through and sprayed all of our stuff because we, they, our district gives us a spray. And so I've sprayed. And then while they're moving from station to station, it's the 45 seconds it's supposed to sit there. And then they're ready to use it again. So I, I've done stations once with my principal's permission and it went well. But it is a little more stressful to go through and have to spray everything down between use. So just keep that in mind. But after you get all of those materials on, the, on there, you want to make sure that there's nothing they're trying to search for. They are just doing the activity and then moving to the next one. So students walk in the room. They sit in their normal seat and their station is already ready to go. And then I explain the workings of each station. So they'll have heard it from me once, but remember it's also on the back of their station tracking sheet. So I do explain at this station, you are practicing this thing. This is how you do it. And this is what you need, like what you're responsible to do as your output for this station. Then I move to the next station. This is what this station is practicing. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to you know, put as your output. After I explain all of the stations, they forget all of them except the one they're working on, which is fine because it's on the back of their station label. Again, I remind them that, that that's where the instructions are so they know, okay, she explained everything. I kind of have an idea of what all these different stations are, but if I forget, it's on the back of the station label and I'm fine. 
Then I tell them, okay, you have this many minutes at each station. I typically do 10 to 15 minutes per station because that is the best amount of time for our brains and for them to accomplish the tasks that I've asked them to do. And then I start the timer. I usually have it projected at the front of the room so they can see how much time they have at each station. But I've also timed it on my phone and just made it loud enough that they could hear the boo boo boo, you know. But basically, it's best if they have an idea how much time they have. And then I get to monitor by walking around the room and answering questions. Or a lot of times I'll do this with speaking tests. So the group that is up is going to come speak with me in Spanish for their speaking test. I've also done where I do, like I said, the small group instruction. And I just take that time to do my part and the kids are busy around the room. This is where a lot of teachers get a little nervous. If I'm not standing right over them, how do I know they're going to do the thing? It does take a little bit of practice. It takes a lot of respect and you build that with your class. This is where life skills have come in handy for me. I can say, you know, in order to show me that you're respecting us in our class, you should be on task. And if they're not on task, I just go over to them and let them know. This is the expectation. I need you to sit down. I need you to do that. And I typically am able to mitigate that quickly if I just keep my cool. If you do have a class that cannot stay on task, then you don't want to make, you want to make sure that one of the stations doesn't include you. So you wouldn't want to do your small instruction this way unless you have another teacher in the classroom. If you have a co-teacher or someone else, that would work. But if you can't make sure your class can't be on task without you being physically present and walking around the room, then just make sure that you don't do a station where you have to be working with a specific group and the rest of the class is on their own. When the timer goes off after that first time, I tell everyone, okay, that was the timer, calm down, quiet down. They all eyes eyes on me, and then I explain how to clean up their station, what I expect it to look like before they leave, and then I tell them, okay, stand up and move. Before we start, I want them to have just basically taken out just what they need. So if they need their notes, or if they need their vocabulary list, maybe they need their pencil, And then everything else goes in their backpacks at the back of the room. And so there's not a lot of clutter. That way they can move to the next station. So really, I just say, okay, take your station tracking sheet, if we have one, your writing utensil, and move to the next table. And this is where I've gone through and I spray all the tables before. So they clean it up and then I go spray it. And then I say, okay, everybody get up and move. And then when they get to the next table, it should have been the 45 seconds to make sure everything's clean and they can then okay, I'm starting the timer, your time starts now, and they move on to that next station. I reset the timer, and then we just repeat this as many times as necessary. If, like I said, you're doing more than three stations, so you're gonna be doing more than, you're going to be doing more than one day of station activities, I, at the end of the last station for that day, I will say, okay, you guys are at, take note, what station are you at? Okay, so tomorrow you need to start at one station higher than that one. So if you're at station four, you need to be starting at station five. And I write it down so that I know, okay, we did this many stations this day. So I can tell them, okay, you guys should be starting at this station the next day. 
I don't tell them exact. I tell them, okay, yesterday we did three stations. So you should probably have moved to about here. I don't keep track of every student station that they should be going to. I keep track of how many stations we completed that day. And then I just let them know that on the second day, okay, again, tomorrow we're going to be finishing our station. So you'll be starting with the station you were about to go to, etc. When I was thinking about what types of stations are great, I came up with a huge list and I was really proud. I was really happy with this because I do like stations. I think that the students work really well with them. I think that it's a nice break in our regular routine. I don't do stations daily. This is something we do maybe every two or three months. So we do this maybe three, four times a year. And so it really does kind of add some variety to what we're doing. And typically it's fun. So I was able to really think of some great ideas. Again, I said games. Some games that we've played in our stations that work really well is a game from that I got from Teachers Pay Teachers from the ProFace store. Um, it's called Sace Game. And so really what it is is you can do this with any worksheet. And one student is allowed to write at a time, and the other students are rolling a dice, and they're trying to roll a six. If they roll a six, they yell SACE, and that person has to put their pencil down. They become one of the rollers, and the, the person who rolled the six is allowed to write on their worksheet. The whole goal is to finish their worksheet first, right? It doesn't sound super fun, but they get crazy into it, and they're trying to finish their worksheet. Super fun. I've also created board games, uh, Connect Four, where they have to get the right answer and then they get to put a chip in and try and connect four. So if they get the right answer first, they get to put a chip in and try and block or they get to get their connect four. We've played a slapjack type game with vocabulary. So if they met, like, mat, you know, match a vocab word, then they can, it's like slapjack. Another game my students really like is called Banco de Cerdos, which is it's really odd, but we just have a, a game board full of piggy banks. And on the piggy banks, I've written all their vocab words. And then they flip a card and it'll have the vocab word in the other language. And they have to find it in first on the piggy bank chart. And whoever finds it first gets to color in the piggy bank their color and they win. They love that game. So those are just some fun games. But basically any game you can think of for your group, you can just have a small group playing just that game and then make however many games you want them to play and they go from one game to another. Another thing I've done, and I also told you before, was tests. We do speaking tests in Spanish and writing tests. So I actually did stations one day where one station was them doing the writing test, and then the next station was them practicing for the speaking test, and then the next station was them taking the, the speaking test. So it was really a whole testing day. It was a very silent day in the room because we were testing, but it was a way that they could get their practice and their testing done in increments. I, because speaking tests, if it's one-on-one -on -one with me, I have to make sure that I'm able to speak with every single student. That takes time. So this was a great way to structure that so that I could be facing the classroom while they're doing their other stuff and testing those students who were in the, in the group to be tested. And when I do that, I actually call one student over from the table to my desk. The other three students usually have an extra credit worksheet that they can work on. So if they've already finished their speaking test, they're just working on the extra credit and then while they're waiting to go. Another one that I've done is expert groups. 
This one works really well with the cultural aspects of our Spanish class where they will read an article or watch a video in their groups about different holidays or different clothing attire. And then they can, they go from station to station and they get little chunks of information about those cultural aspects. And then at the end, they come together, we can talk about those things. The expert groups also has worked really well with review notes where we review notes a lot in Spanish. So in Spanish one, they'll learn something in Spanish two, we review it. Spanish three, we may review it again. And so this is a great way to do that. With Spanish three, I found that it's kind of boring to listen to me explain it for the third time. So I've done it where we've done stations where they go from station to station and maybe watch a video or they do a PowerPoint together or they have like little chunks of information where it asks questions and they have to remember how to do that grammar thing. So that that's a great way to do expert groups in a structured way. We've done speaking activities where they have interviews or where they have conversations with each other in Spanish in these stations as well. That's a great way to do that so that they're kind of timed because sometimes if you go for it, they just end up talking in English and don't get anything done. Conjugation, uh, there's so many different things. We did one where we ha I had gone to a class from our district where they had these little windows you could create like a cardboard sheet and you could cut out these little windows on it. So I did different conjugation charts. So it would have preterite and I would just list all the verbs above the window and then they could flip it over and I and they could check their answers because on the back I had written the answer for those verb conjugations. So that one was a, a great quick one. It wasn't super fun for them, but it was a way that they could see and I wasn't just having to check their answers for them. Another great activity here is to do annotated readings, different annotations per table. So if they have read a chapter of a book and you want them to look first for similes, then you could have that at that first table, they could be just looking for similes, highlight them in yellow. Then they go to the next table and it's asking for onomatopoeia and you highlight that in a different color or they're looking for famous people and then quotes or whatever it is, you can set it up that they move from table to table and on the back of their tracking sheet, it tells them what they're looking for, maybe gives them some examples and has highlighters of that color or markers or pens or whatever annotations you want them to do it's ready for them and they're just focusing on that one part and then they move to the next part and they may be reading the same thing over and over again but they're reading for different things that's a great idea and a great way to use stations one thing is also instead of reading the same thing again they could read multiple texts i did this for a socratic seminar that we were preparing for so they had to read a couple different things this was a great three at a three station day where they went, they read one and then they had to read the next one, then the next one. And then we circled up on the next day and talked about those three articles that we had read in a Socratic seminar format. I've done sentence scramble cards. We had to, they had to pick two cards and then compare the two things in Spanish. So many ideas here. It's kind of endless, really. You can, anything you can think of as an activity, you can make it smaller and then have them go around the room and do it. It is excellent. You can practice anything this way. And then remember, your station tracking sheet can show you what they've done. 
I want to thank you for indulging me in talking about a strategy that you may or may not be able to use right now. Things are a little crazy. We're hybrid, in-person, online. We might not be group learning, but I do think you can use this time to find a great spot in your lessons to add a day or three for stations. Remember, this allows for differentiated instruction. It allows students to feel engaged and to take ownership of their own learning. That's huge. It also lets our students move around more, gets them moving. That's great for learning and for their bodies. And let's not even mention how great it is for collaboration. If this strategy seems daunting at first, let me know. I would love to work through how to implement this amazing strategy in your classroom with your students at a level of your comfort. My goal with Positively Prepped is to help teachers to feel balanced, happy, and in control. A great way to do that is learning stations. It really gives you a good view of your students' abilities, what they do know and what they can do. It lets them be a little more hands-on and you get to be a lot more hands-off. It lets your students take some ownership of their learning and really creates a happy, balanced, and controlled classroom. Thank you for listening to Positively Prepped, a podcast for teachers. Please subscribe and share. It's important to continually focus on balance and improve our practices. That's why I created Positively Prepped, to help teachers to improve themselves, their classrooms, and their lives so that they can create an amazing classroom, leave their work there, and then go home and live a full life guilt-free. Join me next week as we continue our journey to become Positively Prepped. Remember, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Rebecca.Rodriguez. That's Rodriguez with a Q and not a G. Please feel free to shoot me a message and ask questions. Thanks again for listening. See you here next week.